This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Hello and welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I am here with you today, and we're going to do a little bit of a unique podcast today. Today, I want to talk about a book that I have read in the past and been going back through recently and just have been so provoked in my thinking by it that I thought, let's do a little bit of a unique podcast and talk about The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. Now, here's a full disclaimer. This is not a book about the Bible or written by Christians. Greg Lukanoff is a First Amendment lawyer. Jonathan Haidt is a secular Jewish uh, sociologist and a secular psychologist who uh, teaches at New York University. But this book, The Coddling of the American Mind, with the subtitle, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure, is an incredibly important book. I would put it in the top 10 of the most important uh, secular analyses of what's going on in American culture right now. Incredible insight, incredible potency, and here's why I think it's important for us as Christians to consider Last Sunday, as we began at Cornerstone uh, studying the book of Romans, Troy talked about this key verse in Romans, these verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You know, that verse is so interesting. Troy mentioned this. It's Paul's saying you have to resist being squeezed into the mold of the secular world around you, of a godless idea, of the godless age. Instead, we have to have a transforming of our minds. The way I want you to think about it is this. This book, The Coddling of the American Mind, what it did for me was it helped me to discern what is the shape or the mold of this current secular age. What, what is it that people in the world around me are thinking? How do they get to that conclusion? Because if you're going to resist being squeezed into worldliness, if you're going to renew your mind to pursue godliness, it's sometimes helpful to know what is the shape that the world is taking around me, and what does Scripture say to that? So what I want to do is just briefly, briefly present to you a little bit of an overview of what the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, is about, why I think it's so important, and then simply take a look at some Scripture that I think will inform, maybe give some answers to the sort of wisdom we need to navigate the world in which we live. So let's take a dive. Again, the book that we're reviewing here is The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. The Coddling of the American Mind, just to give you a summary of where it comes from, Lukanoff and Haidt are both individuals who are very familiar with the college campus. Lukanoff is a First Amendment lawyer who works for free speech rights on campus, and Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist, a professor at New York University. And what they noted from their unique vantage points was on the college campus around about 2014 or after there was a new way of thinking about the world that was beginning to happen they summarized this kind of new way of thinking okay 
under kind of three big ideas that they call the three very bad ideas. Okay, I'm going to list them right now. The three bad ideas that are beginning to become pervasive, to take root on many college campuses, and to be frank, I think they're wedded all throughout the educational system in many ways, are these three ideas. First, the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Okay, the untruth of fragility, we'll unpack these in a second, but the simple summary is the idea that people are inherently weak or fragile and that they can be easily harmed. So what we need to do is keep people safe at all costs. Second truth, untruth rather, second great untruth, second terrible bad idea is the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. Whatever your heart says is true is what is true, and no one should be able to question your truth. Okay, then the third great untruth, third very bad idea is the untruth of us versus them, that life is a battle between good people who have good ideas and bad evil people who have evil ideas, and that we need to stop the evil people no matter what. Okay, those three ideas. What Haidt and Lukanoff observe is that if you go out into the college campus, you go into any sort of educational sphere, you begin to look at the mainstream of how thought happens in American life, you will hear the echoes of these three great untruths, the untruth of fragility, the untruth of emotional reasoning, and the untruth of us versus them, that life is a battle. Okay. Now, to unpack those a bit more, let's talk first about the untruth of fragility and what they talk about. They give an observation about this current generation. You could call it Gen Z or iGen, as Jean Twinge, the psychologist at San Diego State University, termed it in her book. This is the generation, the best way to describe it to you is that they uh, grew up with an iPhone in their pocket. They're the iGen. So they have had social media around them. They've had that. But what they noted was this generation, as they began to hit the college campus, was uniquely obsessed with safety. In fact, they started, they coined a term, they call it safetyism, okay? And safetyism basically refers to a belief that safety, the goal is to eliminate threats, real and imagined, for people. Okay, so you should never expose people to situations that could possibly make them fragile, anxious, or cause them to see themselves as victims. And I'm going to read the summary of the chapter on the untruth of fragility, because they point out something profound. They say this, children, like many complex adaptive systems, are actually anti-fragile. Okay, I'm going to underline that. People, in their essence, are resilient, not fragile. Image bearers, people made in God's image, here I'm Mark the pastor talking, by virtue of the fact that we're created in God's image, part of that is a resistance to breaking, an anti-fragility. Back to Jonathan Haidt and Lukanoff as the quote. They write, the brains of children require wide ranges of inputs from their environment in order to configure themselves for those environments. Like an immune system, children actually need to be exposed to challenges and stressors within appropriate and age-appropriate ways and limits, or they'll actually fail to mature into strong and capable adults, able to engage productively with people and ideas that challenge their beliefs and moral convictions. Okay, 
Let me summarize that. If you don't let your kids do hard things, they'll never become able to. We, we grow rev- resiliency and endurance. And so in the culture of safetyism, with the rise of the concept of like the pervasive concept of trauma, where trauma is now a word that has expanded to capture so many things in our existence, what we're doing is in the interest of keeping children safe, we're actually hurting them. Because people, in order to gain endurance, have to try hard things. Okay, so that's the untruth of fragility. Second big untruth they unpack is the untruth of emotional reasoning. And what you can simply uh, summarize this as saying, emotional reasoning is this great untruth. Always trust your heart. Always trust your feelings. Always trust what your gut tells you. And don't let people push back on that. And what they... What they say in this is very important, is they point out actually insights from cognitive behavior therapy. It's a kind of relatively new form of psychological therapy, which basically just involves talking back the truth to your untrue feelings, okay? If you say, I'm no good, the idea of cognitive behavior therapy is to identify that sort of faulty emotional reasoning, okay? Something like, you know, Nothing will ever go well in my life again. Well, that's catastrophizing. That's not true. And so rather than just empathizing with the feeling, though we want to have an empathic sort of posture, what they say is CBT is teaching you how to confront that false thinking. Okay, that form of therapy is incredibly effective in treating anxiety, depression, all sorts of maladies. Now, here's the point. They say, actually, when we embrace the untruth of emotional reasoning, what we're really doing is teaching a generation of people how to continue to think in a way that looks like anxiety and depression. We've trained people to think you should always trust what your gut and your heart tell you, even without questioning them. And anyone who questions them can be seen as being an aggressor. In fact, they talk about the concept and the rise of the concept of microaggression, that people, even without meaning to, could be harming you. So you need to be careful and teach people to do things that wouldn't harm other people. Now, certainly, we don't want our speech and our way of living to threaten or hurt people. But Haidt and Lukanoff, what they're pointing out is the rise of these kind of like this fragility and sensitivity of emotional reasoning are creating an environment where people have begun to think ideas that they disagree with are threatening and dangerous. Okay, now here's the third great untruth then, the untruth of us versus them, that life is a battle between the good people and the evil people. And frankly, if people are evil and ideas are evil and good is something, we should fight against the, uh, those evil people and make sure they don't have any right to speak. It's resulted in a ton of identity politics on college campuses and the rise of students and student groups opposing speakers, even voicing ideas that they would find disagreeable or different. Okay, now that sort of us versus them thinking Though it is a powerful political tool and has been commonly used throughout American history, is particularly weaponized in the social media generation. It's being used by both the far right politically as well as the far left to spread this idea that life is a battle against between good and evil people. And you know what? We should call out people who would possibly harm people with their ideas and do whatever it takes, even to the point of destructive behavior, to keep people from saying things that are false and evil. 
All right. There's the diagnosis of the coddling of the American mind. They're saying this generation is uniquely growing up with a susceptibility to three bad ideas, the untruth of fragility, the untruth of emotional reasoning, the untruth of us versus them thinking. And what that what is happening from those is actually the rise of a culture on campus that invites intimidation and violence and a call-out culture or a cancel culture that is shutting down the free exchange of ideas, not opening them up. Now, Haidt and Lukanoff's concern is predominantly around the context of a university in uh, the educational system, the, the way in which parents and schools and universities are training the next generation. And I share that concern. I, I'm a dad. I want to see that. I'm a pastor. I want to see our communities flourish. And they ask, how did we get here? So their explanation, they give a few main points to that. They talk about the polarization cycle that, um, frankly, in some ways, a two-party system of government uh, aided by social media in flames. They talk about the rise of anxiety and depression as categories and how we treat that. Paranoid parenting is a big factor. Parents are uh, trying to keep their kids from all possibility of uh, harm versus letting their kids go outside and try the world out. And they point to another factor in parenting, the decline of just free play, that most parents, they don't want their kids to be kidnapped or fall off. I mean, I grew up in a generation where... uh, We drank milk, you know, in school, and on the back of the milk cartons, there were pictures of kids who had been kidnapped. Well, when you see that all the time, you start to think, man, a lot of kids must be getting kidnapped, even though that is unbelievably not true. We grew up in a generation that was aware because of media and TV of the evils of the world at a level the previous generations just didn't see. And if they did see it, they said, well, we're going to have to be tough enough to deal with that. So we've limited play. We've paranoid parented. But then we have a bureaucracy of safetyism that they look at where schools and institutions are now doing everything they can to keep from getting sued instead of trying to do everything they can to help people grow. And they point finally to the quest for justice, that a new mode of social justice has risen up that has... uh, put forward very new ideas about what justice would look like and put these terms like microaggressions and trauma forward in a unique sort of quest. Ultimately, Haidt and Lukanoff, we asked the question, well, what do you want us to do? And their solution is, we want the world to get wiser. We need to return to ancient wisdom and try to find the sort of wisdom that has aided humanity for centuries to combat this sort of loss of wisdom in the rise of these three great untruths. Now, I've tried to give you an overview of the book in about 10 minutes. I will simply commend to you, if you're a reader who wants to know about what like American life on a college campus looks like, you've got to read The Coddling of the American Mind. It's powerful and helpful. But I want to say a caution here, because as a Christian, while I find it powerful and helpful, I think that there's a couple things. First, I'm afraid that some people use this book to weaponize cynicism about the next generation. I know, having worked with Salt Company for years and college students for years, that quite a bit of what Lukanoff and Haidt diagnose is spot on and true. It rang so true to me reading it. 
But I'm afraid that people just throw their hands in the air and go, well, this generation is useless and there's no way we're going to be able to get the grit out of these people. Well, okay. What I want to say is great untruths, when they are met with truth, sometimes can result in great changes. In other words, the generation that I've worked with at Salt Company, when exposed to the truth of God's word, because they've been raised with these great untruths, they began to see the incredible wisdom of what God says. Sometimes when you see something that is ugly and terrible, it actually enhances the beauty of that which is beautiful and wholesome. You're left longing for a better answer than you've been given. And I think that right now, this is an opportunity for the Christian faith to speak. It may not be something that gains vast popularity. In fact, I suspect it will not. But to be a faithful presence in the world, what I want to do is take height in Lukanoff's prescription of pursuit of wisdom and simply say the best wisdom you could possibly pursue is contained in God's word, that actually the Bible offers great truth back to the lies of these great untruths. So just briefly, let's talk about that lie of fragility or the concept of safetyism and simply turn to the New Testament book of James which is a condensation of wisdom that comes from above, that is pure and wholesome and good. What would James have to say about the concept that you need to be careful because whatever doesn't kill you could make you weaker, like you need to avoid? Well, safetyism to that, I would want James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 to speak. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, if we read that verse backwards, to become mature and complete in life, full as a person, you need endurance. And what does James say produces endurance? Difficulty in trial. When you tell people over and over that they're fragile and that life is dangerous and that it will harm them, that you try to keep them safe no matter what, what you're actually doing according to the wisdom of James is robbing them of the necessary component to what will produce spiritual and personal maturity. In God's economy, in God's design of this world, the things that come into our lives that are difficult often become the tests of faith that produce the most fruit in us. So to the false idea, the great untruth of safetyism and fragility, we would want to speak the truth of an endurance that is produced through hardship. That's what God's word would show us. It would teach a generation how to cultivate grit. To the untruth of emotional reasoning, always trust your heart. What would James say to that? Well, let me read you James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter, the person driven by the emotional reasoning of their internal world, is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Okay, let me go further. James 1.13. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm tempted by God. God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Okay, note that. 
James says, what you desire can be evil. And actually, it's the internal emotional center in some ways that can lead us most astray, because after that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. Our hearts, the Bible says, are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know them? That doesn't mean that emotions are wrong. I think emotions are beautiful, good, and holy. But simply because I feel something doesn't make it real. And we have to learn to have a healthy sort of skepticism about the condition of our heart. If the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it, the Bible says? Then to think that our heart, our emotional reasoning center, should guide us in all of life will make us like unstable people tossed to and fro. We need to let the head direct the heart, and we need to learn how to cultivate a healthy emotional life, not just be driven by emotional reasoning. Now, the final great untruth of the great untruth of us versus them, that life is a battleground, like it's a battlefield of bad ideas, and we need to shut down all the bad ideas. And friends, I need to be honest with this. I hear Christians articulate that way of thinking an awful lot. In the realm of politics, we see the enemies over there as infecting this American society with the sort of untruth that will devastate a generation, and so we think we've got to fight that back. We've got to do everything we can to take it back for our kids. I understand the heartbeat behind that. I do. I do think ideas matter. I think they have great consequence. But seeing all of life as a grand battle between us and them for the hearts and souls of the next generation— What that does is it makes you susceptible to a sort of bitter, angry approach to other people in life. Let me contrast that again with the book of James. The book of James chapter 3 says, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse people who are made in God's image. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show his works are done in the gentleness. Note this word, in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Are your words blessing or cursing? My opponents out there, I need to fight them. Are they gentle? If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every practice. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I don't know anything that could be more different from a battle-filled mentality than the wisdom from above described in James chapter 3. And as Christians, we have to train ourselves and the next generation not to see life as a grand battlefield between us and them, but to see the world around us as a group of people who are a mission field, people who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. People who may share different ideas from us, 
even if we believe those ideas have terrible consequences, are not opponents in a grand chess game. They're image bearers. And the only way we will truly work out wisdom in the world is to let James 3 govern every interaction we have, socially, politically, relationally, familially. So I agree with Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff that what we need in this world is wisdom. I just simply want to go a bit further than the coddling American mind would and say the wisdom that we need is the sort of wisdom that comes from above that has been embodied in Christ and distilled through Scripture. So, if you're somebody who cares about the next generation, if you're an educator, if you love kids, if you want to understand what's going on in American life, if you want to see, maybe to put it this way, the Romans 12.2 sort of shape in which this age is trying to squeeze you, I think that the coddling of the American mind would be a really good place to start and would give you some very fruitful thinking in that way. So take it, read it, and then test it against Scripture and let Scripture cultivate the sort of wisdom that we need to work in this world, to endure forward, to live with wisdom, not just leaning into our hearts, but actually seeking truth from above and ultimately living for the glory of God in the midst of this age. That's what we're after. Romans 12.2 tells us as we renew our minds, we'll be able to discern not just what is wrong in the sage, but what is good, pleasing, and perfect, what is the will of God. God give us wisdom to see that.